Power and Responsibility. The Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Echelon Data Centers. Welcome to Power and Responsibility, a podcast brought to you by Echelon Data Centers. I'm Jeremy Probert, and with me today on this journey is uh, Craig McKechnie. Uh, data centers these days are, of course, essential industry, as we are more and more reliant on our mobile phones, on 5G, on e-commerce, on virtual meetings, and as we become more reliant on things like artificial intelligence and the, the Internet of Things. So think driverless cars, uh, smart cities, smart roads. And even as people want to stream more and more movies and Netflix, then uh, the data that these things generate need to be housed somewhere, and those things are data centers. Uh, the dataverse, which is the amount of data that's uh, created each year, is estimated to grow to 100, 175 zettabytes uh, by 2019. Now, to give an idea of what that means, 175 zettabytes of data is enough data for every man, woman, and child on the planet to take five selfies an hour. And that's a lot of data. It's got to be housed somewhere, and that somewhere is data centers. The inconvenient truth, of course, is that data centers are involved in the carbon emissions associated with the generation of the power they use. They also generate a lot of heat, and with traditional cooling methods, they consume a lot of water. The industry gets criticised for not giving a lot back in terms of employment or economic benefit. There are, however, two sides to every story. The data centre sector has an increasing focus on the issue of sustainability and responsibility, both on societal and environmental levels. So can data centres become part of the climate solution? How quickly can technology change the way the power is generated and consumed? In this series of podcasts, we'll be talking about some of the key issues in this debate. We'll be joined by a selection of expert guests to discuss renewable power generation and supply, alternative energy sources, immersion cooling, energy storage initiatives, and the sustainable investment strategies to fund it all. In this episode, we're going to be talking about hydrogen, which is the energy carrier of the future. Joining us is Dr. Rory Monaghan. Lecturer of Mechanical Engineering at the National University of Ireland, Galway, and Ireland's leading authority on hydrogen as an alternative fuel. Welcome, Rory. Hi, thanks very much for having me. It would be fair to say, wouldn't it, that as that hydrogen as an alternative fuel, as an, as an energy carrier, has been a focus of attention for some years now, but it's never quite fulfilled its potential and promise. And moves towards the commercial production of hydrogen have, have started, but, but stalled. It seems that things are changing now and that hydrogen is being taken more and more seriously as an alternative fuel. So what's changed, Rory? What's mm -hmm. made this possible? Currently, hydrogen is a major industry, but that hydrogen that is produced is produced from fossil fuels. So the world produces tens of thousands of tons of hydrogen every day in the world's oil refineries, in the world's fertilizer factories, in uh, polymer plants. But that is almost exclusively produced from fossil fuels. So when we talk about hydrogen in the context of renewable energy, what we're really talking about is the minority route of producing hydrogen, which is called electrolysis. Now, electrolysis requires water and requires electricity. And if that electricity is renewable, then we have renewable hydrogen or what people are increasingly calling green hydrogen. So green hydrogen is going through a bit of a, um, a time in the sun right now. Its costs are dropping. They have dropped significantly, and, and most forecasts are showing that the cost will continue to drop. And there's really been, to my mind, probably three drivers 
for for this growth in the interest of green hydrogen in in the last year or two. The first one has been that the decarbonization agenda has got has got a lot more ambitious. You know, there, there was you know when people the first international agreement on decarbonization was the Kyoto Protocol, and it was a a fairly modest cut in developed countries' greenhouse gas emissions. Now we're in the world of the Paris Agreement, which is talking about limiting emissions to uh, well below two degrees of warming, aiming towards 1.5 degrees of warming. And what this all implies is that countries are going to have to get to net zero emissions. So zero carbon emissions overall by 2050 or, or before that. So this has really led to interest in decarbonization beyond the areas that we've been focused on to date, which has been the power sector mostly. People are talking about how do we decarbonize transport, heavy transport, airplanes, ships? How do we decarbonize heating? How do we decarbonize industries like data centers? So as we've expanded our ambition with decarbonization, we've had to look at the more tools that we have to, at our disposal. And for reasons that I'll talk about, hydrogen has entered the equation. So that's one thing, the, the ambition of decarbonization. The second thing is that... um electrolyzers, renewable hydrogen technology has been slowly but surely developing over the years. They've been gradual, slow uptake in electrolyzers over the last while. And that's that's had a, a noticeable but modest impact on the cost of electrolyzer equipment. They're, they're now able to be mass produced more than they used to be. But the biggest driver of the interest in green hydrogen is the declining cost in electricity coming from renewables. That the, you know, if, if, if you were to look now at the cost of solar generated electricity, the cost of wind generated electricity onshore and offshore, the costs are decreasing much, much faster than anything else we've seen in our electricity system for decades. Um, uh, you know, fossil fuel generated electricity is more or less stagnant. Cost of nuclear energy is going up, but the cost of renewables is falling and falling fast. And in fact, the cheapest electricity ever generated is solar electricity. So th this has really driven interest in green hydrogen. If I can just follow up on something you said, there's already an awful lot of hydrogen being produced, although it is fossil, fossil fuel generated, which leads me to the question, if there is all that hydrogen around at the moment, albeit not green, why is it not being used as a fuel now? So it's being used as essentially as in industrial feedstocks now. Hydrogen is an essential part of turning crude oil into petrol and gasoline. Hydrogen is an essential part of producing fertilizer that we use now. It's an essential part of producing polyethylene and lots and lots of other types of plastics. So it's, it's, it's got an indispensable role in those as uh, due to its chemical nature. It, it hasn't cracked into the, into the energy system or the transportation system yet because it's not price competitive with what we're doing now. So what we're doing now is, you know, petrol and diesel for transport, kerosene for planes, uh, uh, heavy fuel oil for ships, uh, and all the various fossil fuels for heating. So there's a number of reasons that hydrogen is not cost competitive with that. But it's, 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 it's only now that we're really focusing on the deep decarbonization of these sectors that we're casting our, our kind of, our, our net out further than electrification, which is going to be absolutely key to, to decarbonizing these, these sectors. I was uh, looking at uh, an article, which is about, uh, basically, it's a deal between BP and Iberdrola. 
It's a project at a refinery near Valencia where they would create green hydrogen using solar. 20 megawatts just now that could later be boosted to 150 megawatts. Now, how that green hydrogen is used, I don't know. As you say, it's the site of a refinery. So they might use it in processes there, but by converting renewables into hydrogen, you have that always-on power when you need it. Is this the kind of thing that we're looking at, where hydrogen becomes a facilitator between different types of energy and different types of demand? The big phrase that people are using right now is sector coupling or sector integration. What this means is you're connecting the power sector with a sector that either traditionally hasn't used power or cannot use power. And what I mean is this, that you're using wind electricity that's generated at night or solar electricity that's generated when people don't need it. You can produce hydrogen and then that hydrogen, due to its sort of its, its chemical nature, the fact that you've got that energy stored in molecules, it can do things that electricity can't do. It can, it can offset fossil hydrogen in the first instance. And this is what people see as being the, you know, the next five years of hydrogen development is probably mostly going to be offsetting that fossil hydrogen that's being used. So we're now through hydrogen that's generated from renewables. We've linked up the renewable sector to the chemicals industry in a way that wasn't possible. And as we get more ambitious, and as the cost of hydrogen continues to drop, then we're going to be linking up renewable electricity to the trucking sector or the shipping sector or the aviation sector when we're able to use hydrogen in those, in, in those settings. And, 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 and so this is, this is what people mean by sector integration. So we're not going to have these siloed, here's my transport fuel system, which is where I, I get oil up from the ground. I refine it into diesel and I run trucks. Here's my heating fuel sector where I ref- I get natural gas up, I, I, I pump it through the grid and I, I burn it. And here's my power sector where I generate power, probably from renewables, to make electricity. They're now all sort of intertwined. And by using things like batteries and by using things like hydrogen, we're able to combine the two. And things like heat pumps as well, we're able to combine all of these sectors together to be an overall integrated energy system which can benefit from renewables and store them over long periods of time. And I suppose when we then look at this kind of key infrastructure for the lives we live today, data is one of the key infrastructure that we're talking about here. So when you're looking at these uh, hydrogen renewables being coupled together, when you're looking at the integration and coupling of these technologies, then presumably with the 24-7 demand that data centres provide that helps make the business case for investing in these uh, in these energies and these technologies does that sound fair yeah 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 i think it does you know i so so with with hydrogen we're essentially you know beyond displacing the the current use of hydrogen which while i said is a big industry is small compared to the energy system as a whole so we'll be moving beyond this displacing of hydrogen quite soon i hope and the key thing there is, is where does hydrogen best fit? So to me, there's sometimes uh, people that are interested in hydrogen sometimes get into arguments. You see this on social media with people that are interested in batteries and electric vehicles, and they start talking about how it's one technology or the other. And, and I, I think it's a really unproductive use of, use of everyone's time and effort because there is undoubtedly going to be a role for every type of technology here. There is such an enormous problem of, of energy decarbonization 
to be to be tackled. Um, data centers, yes, they are they're indispensable for our society as it is, and I think the last year has really highlighted that. So, so you know, there is this always-on need for energy. If you're looking at getting a renewable supply of energy into your data centers. For me, hydrogen is a is a complete no brainer. It's 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 got that long term energy storage capacity that that batteries would struggle to deliver. Now, that's not to say that hydrogen is better than batteries at storing energy. Hydrogen is different. Hydrogen is would be not very effective for storing energy over short periods of time for delivering energy quickly. So, say we've got a sudden drop off in wind output, hydrogen is going to struggle to meet that fall in power quickly. Batteries are great for that. What hydrogen can do is you can store large amounts of energy from, say, the winter to the summer. So if you've got a windy winter season and a, and a calm summer season, that's where hydrogen comes into its own. Batteries are great for riding out a few hours where you've got, where you've got shortfalls in, in energy. Why I'm saying all this in respect to data centers is that you know, as you pointed out, data centers are are essentially always running. They always need to run. And if they're running from renewables, you need to have something that is there when the renewables aren't. And and over long periods of time, that's where I and others see hydrogen being uh, being very important. I suppose the question is, where is Ireland? Are we producing much of it? Are we producing much of it in comparison to neighbouring countries? And is Ireland well placed to produce more green mm. hydrogen? Ireland is one of the best placed countries in Europe to make green hydrogen. And that's because of our wind. Our wind resource onshore, offshore is second to none. We've got the, you know, this is maybe kind of a cliche within the energy community, but Ireland's territorial area at sea is nearly 10 times what our, what our land area is. And that has got an enormous capacity of wind generation. Conservative estimates are saying that there's between 35 and 50 gigawatts of wind generating capacity off the west and southern coasts of Ireland. We have a huge, and, and that's set against maybe generating capacity right now of about five and a half to six gigawatts. So, so it's really, we have far more renewables than we can use. Is that 50 to 60 that can be harnessed? So the figures that I quoted there, 35 to 50. They are what is is reckoned to be exploitable without causing environmental degradation. There could be even more if we were able to develop new technologies that would maybe not have negative impacts on ocean life. But with current technology that we think is coming down the pipeline, between 35 and 50 gigawatts uh, of wind is out there. How do we access that? Well, certainly we can electrify the Irish economy as much as we possibly can. Uh, we can also build interconnector cables as we're already doing to Great Britain and to mainland Europe. But we're also, I think, going to need to look at higher value ways of benefiting from that energy source. So an additional approach could be, could we export hydrogen? So, you know, just getting to your, to your question of what, of what Ireland is, is doing on green hydrogen. The answer is right now, not much beyond, uh, pilot studies, beyond research. But other countries in Europe have developed hydrogen strategies. So, so, so the German government, French, the Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, Norwegians, they've developed government strategies that lay out how they will be bringing hydrogen into their large scale energy decarbonization plans between now and 2050. And if you were to look at the German and or, or, or the Dutch plans, for example, 
what they're faced with is they've got large industries in those countries. They've got large uh, heavy industries. The Germans got lots of heavy manufacturing, steel making, car making. How do they decarbonize? Electrification is not going to cut it for those industries. The energy demands are too are too high, too high volume, too high temperature. So the Germans have really targeted hydrogen as a way to decarbonize these sectors. They're not going to be able to produce the quantity of green hydrogen that they need. Ireland has got the other issue that we have got. We have got the potential to produce much more green hydrogen than we will use in the country. So could we become an exporter of green hydrogen to places like Germany, places like the Netherlands? Now we're talking about getting sort of further up the food chain. Then there's, you know, we can look at, well, what if we not just electrified our energy demand in Ireland? What if we brought new expanded types of energy demand to Ireland? What if we did what, what Iceland has essentially done, which is Iceland brought lots and lots of heavy industry to Iceland during the eighties and nineties because they've got very, very low cost renewable electricity from, from hydro and geothermal. So what if Ireland started to attract industries? Now I, I'm not saying we want to bring aluminium smelters to Ireland or, or, you know, steel mills or something like that. But what if we looked at the energy users of the future and included among those, I think is data centers. I'm not a data center industry person. I'm not a, I'm not an economist or, you know, knowledgeable of, of, of the, of the commercial side of this. But what I do see is growth in energy demand for data centers. So there's obviously to me as an engineer, as an engineer focusing on energy, I'm seeing that something is drawing those energy users here. What's drawing them here is not my my field of knowledge. But if this is an expanding part of our energy use sector, and if we are aiming to decarbonize our energy system, I see a lot of synergies between the kind of demands that, that data centers have and the kind of energy that renewables plus hydrogen can supply I see it. I see that there's being a kind of a, a symbiotic relationship there where if we can, if we can use more renewables, uh, to run data centers, we can become more expert in running data centers and we can maybe get further sort of investment in Ireland in that, uh, in that sector. Can we take a step back? Because I mean, this is all fascinating. Um, ha- however, uh, clearly we've got to produce the hydrogen first and we're talking about between 35, 50 gigawatt of offshore wind, which is a lot. What, what sort of size plant do you need to process that much or to generate that much hydrogen? That's unknown at the moment. No one has really you know, targeted something that large. We've just seen over the last few weeks the first kind of steps towards this vision that I've talked about of using large-scale offshore wind and hydrogen. And this is the announcement for the, the future of the money point power station site in County Clare. I guess I'm used to talking with energy people about this, but for those outside the kind of the energy nerd circle, Money Point is Ireland's biggest power station. It's coal-fired. It's biggest source of CO2 emissions. It's located in the west coast of Ireland on the Shannon Estuary. It's actually got the deepest port in Europe just to to load for loading coal into the site. And um, But from, you know, its big advantage is it is connected directly to the Dublin electricity grid. It's got a direct, almost like if you imagine motorways for electrons going, going directly to Dublin. And it is, um, it's been generating since the early 1980s and, um, it's nearing the end of its life. And ESB and Equinor, the Norwegian energy company just announced that they were, they are, they are 
shutting down Money Point for power generation from coal, and they are turning it into an offshore floating wind hub. And what, what does that mean? Well, it means that they'll be using the footprint of that power plant to manufacture offshore floating wind turbines. This is a, this is a kind of a new technology. They, they have been deployed, most notably off Scotland, off Norway, off Portugal. But we're talking about doing it on a scale that hasn't been seen before. Um, so floating, floating wind farms, generating power, sending it back to the money point site where it connects into the Irish grid, sends that power directly to Dublin. Um, where the, the major use, uh, center of electricity is. But then the variations in that, uh, in that wind farm output are going to be essentially stored using hydrogen. Um, and, and this would be, this would be on a scale that has not currently been implemented anywhere in Europe. Um, there are plans to do similar size hydrogen production, um, schemes as this, but none of them have been built yet. So this would require a step change in size of hydrogen production equipment. So to get back to your question about, you know, how big a, uh, a, a site like this would be, we're going to have to see how the technology develops. You know, the, 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 the hydrogen production capacity is not currently at that scale yet. We, it has to be scaled up and we have to see how that scaling up happens. So two questions. Uh, how long do you think it will take to do that scaling up? And what, what, what does it require? Because I'm sure there are companies that are thinking about doing it, but they're mm. also thinking that's an awful lot of investment in R&D going into this sort of stuff. So does it yeah. require, I mean, you've, you've, you've talked about Germany and Holland uh, building in hydrogen into their energy plans. Does that require the Irish government to do exactly the same? That would be my opinion, that the uh, that, that that Ireland should have a, a, a defined role for hydrogen in its, in its energy plans. Um, whether that need, requires a standalone hydrogen strategy or whether that requires reference to hydrogen within our climate action plans. Um, I don't know which of those is needed, but we do need some strategy for hydrogen. Um, the reason is this is that, you know, like I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about the, the companies that are investing in hydrogen, you know, thinking about the sums involved. Hydrogen has got this problem that we call the chicken and egg conundrum. I can't go to a hydrogen technology manufacturer and say, I want to buy an electrolyzer for my one gigawatt hydrogen production plant. Cause they'll say, we don't produce that. And, and, uh, why do they not produce it? Well, there's not currently the demand for something that big. Why is it not the demand for something that big? Well, part of it is because there's not the technology available. So it's been, it's, it's recognized now across Europe that hydrogen has a role to play, you know, in our energy system beyond 2030. But there needs to be something that sort of primes the pump that gets the, the supply side and the demand side of hydrogen uh, in, integrated with each other. People are not going to be able to become large scale producers of hydrogen until there's a demand for hydrogen. And, and, and in my experience, getting the demand for hydrogen is the biggest challenge Ireland faces. I don't think we will have a problem in producing it, but no one will produce it until there's a demand. Now, a demand in Germany is great, but people probably want a demand closer to home, those that would be interested in investing in hydrogen. So currently, there is no reference to hydrogen in Ireland's energy policy. There's no support for hydrogen. But if we look 
if we look to our nearest neighbour, if we look to what the UK are doing, and this is this this is the case in Northern Ireland, hydrogen is supported as a renewable transport fuel option. If the hydrogen is is certified as green hydrogen, if it's produced from renewables, if it's produced using electricity that's not otherwise getting onto the electricity grid. So so if you if you purpose build a wind farm for producing hydrogen, or if you're if you're only running your electrolyzer off uh, what we call curtailed electricity. So electricity that, that cannot be accepted into the grid at a certain moment in time, then that hydrogen production can be subsidized by something by, uh, under the under the same scheme that biofuels are are subsidized under, which is the renewable transport fuel obligation. So so Ireland has the capacity to implement something like this. Ireland has signed up to the Renewable Energy Directive, the second recast of the Renewable Energy Directive, which those of us in the energy business call RED2. RED2 has got a mechanism that hydrogen can be included as a renewable transport fuel. That part of RED2 hasn't been implemented by Ireland. It would just take the stroke of a pen to implement it, and then hydrogen could be supported as a renewable transport fuel. And and we wouldn't have to invent any new legislation to do it. We could look at what the UK has done. So that, to me, would be a really low-hanging fruit um, for, for priming a market for hydrogen because the transportation technologies for hydrogen are, are just about on the marketplace now. We have a number of bus manufacturers that, uh, that have developed hydrogen fuel cell models. There's, there's a couple, small number, smaller number of truck manufacturers. And, and again, this is not to step on the toes of electric vehicles. This is to complement what's going on in the rollout of electric vehicles, hitting the parts of transportation that batteries alone would struggle to hit. You talked about fuel cells there, which is interesting. So I'm just skipping to another topic. Um, obviously, fuel cells, hydrogen-powered fuel cells, great for buses or trucks or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were looking at something larger, so like a steel plant or a chemical plant or a data center, do you need to develop new fuel cells or can it be used in generators? And if so, do the generators need modifying or changing? How does that work? Yeah. So, 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 so on, on the, on the hydrogen use side. So if we talk about the technologies that are applicable to data centers, there'd be, there'd, there'd be three broad families of technology that I'd talk about gas engines. That are essentially reciprocating engines, uh, not unlike diesel engines, and those would be kind of deployed widely on site at data centers, burning natural gas usually. Um, gas turbines, um, similar idea, burning natural gas, generating power on site, and then hydrogen fuel cells. And so, so I'll talk about those in order. With the gas engines, these are. Um, uh, these are capable of burning a certain fraction of hydrogen at present. So, so, so certain, certain engines can burn, you know, like at a baseline, we say that certain engines can generally burn 5% hydrogen, but there are, but there are manufacturers coming out now and announcing that they will have fully hydrogen compliant engines this year. So, um, Wartzilla, um, have announced that they'll have a, um, a uh, hydrogen burning engine this year, a fully hydrogen burning engine, and Yenbacker as well, and 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 those are 
those are engines that are used widely across data centers, not just in Ireland, but around the world as well. So, so, so two major manufacturers are, are, are aiming for hydrogen only engines. Um, the issue with hydrogen, so you can put high concentrations of hydrogen in an engine now without causing damage. The problem is, is that you would increase NOx production. So, 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 so there does need to be, once you start getting high concentrations of hydrogen in, there does need to be some modification of the engine. Um, because hydrogen, I guess from a, from, from a kind of a combustion point of view, hydrogen burns very hot and high temperatures produce, um, produce NOx. So, so, so with, with, with specifically, uh, hydrogen burning engines, you would have, uh, more mixing of air. You'd have exhaust gas pretreatment and you'd be able to, uh, to manage, to, to keep NOx within manageable levels. More or less the same goes for uh, gas turbines. So some of the makers, Siemens, uh, General Electric, are all saying that they're going to, in the next couple of years, will be having hydrogen burning engines, fully hydrogen burning engines. Um, you can get in certain types of gas turbine engines, you can get up to maybe 60% hydrogen. For, for periods of time, you could conceivably get higher. GE are claiming they can get up to 100% for certain periods of time. But again, NOx is the issue because again, when you burn hydrogen, it burns very hot. You produce NOx. So, so you know, the general position that I'd have is that to get to fully hydrogen burning, you need to have uh, there needs to be engine modifications. But these are not insurmountable. These are these are modifications that are underway. And you know, for the gas engines, there'll be there'll be technologies available this year. For the gas turbines, maybe another year or two. Then there's the fuel cells. There, there's a number of families of fuel cells. The most widely deployed one right now for data center applications are what's called solid oxide fuel cells. These would be fuel cells that can take natural gas as a fuel. They've got an internal process that cracks the natural gas into hydrogen and carbon dioxide, and they use the hydrogen in the, in the fuel cell, and uh, that generates electricity. Now, the carbon dioxide does get emitted because natural gas contains the carbon. Um, so this this would be a a kind of the, you know the types of companies that are using these would be um, Bloom Energy, which for data centers in the U.S. and California in particular, these would be a very widely used technology. Um, natural gas in the U.S. is very cheap. In places like California, uh, the electricity grid has got reliability problems, and um, so many data centers would be run primarily off the natural gas grid and they generate their power on site. So that's that's sort of the sort of when people talk about fuel cells in data centers, that would be the main technology. There's other technologies then that would be purely hydrogen. And this is maybe where it's more interesting. Um, these would be um, predominantly a technology family called PEM, polymer electrolyte membrane or proton exchange membrane. These these are these are lower temperature devices, so they're able to come on and come off quite fast. They require extremely pure hydrogen, though, using hydrogen from originating from natural gas would not be pure enough. These have, you know, the fact that they need pure hydrogen and the fact that uh, electrolysis produces very pure hydrogen, there's a good fit there. And in fact, Microsoft have been have been developing PEM fuel cell technology for their data centers over the last couple of years. And they're, they're still only at a small scale. They're still only at about the megawatt scale, but they certainly see value in, in developing fuel cells, mostly because they are just vastly more efficient than uh, they, there's for for the energy you put into a fuel cell, 
you get a lot more electricity out compared to a gas turbine or a gas engine. You were talking about when you have the hydrogen, you burn it, uh, then obviously it emits uh, carbon dioxide. When you're making the hydrogen initially, you're obviously taking it from water. What what happens to the byproduct, presumably, is oxygen. What happens to that? At the moment, in most cases, the oxygen is just released to the atmosphere. Um, but a lot of the um, a lot of these larger scale hydrogen plans that are in place are looking to to make better use of that oxygen. You know, because obviously, if you can sell a byproduct, you increase the overall value of of, of an investment. So, so there's work going on in Northern Ireland. At investigating electrolyzers at wastewater treatment plants you can you can get very effective um treatment of sewage sludge with with pure oxygen sewage sludge one of the processes that sewage sludge has to go through is something called aeration and where air is bubbled up through the sludge and it sort of kills a lot of the bugs that are that are in there before the the the, the water can get put back into the into the water course again um oxygen is really effective at at, at, at doing this aeration process. So, <clears throat> so we could imagine, um, electrolyzers that are sort of co-located between maybe a data center that could be using the hydrogen, a wastewater treatment plant that could be using the oxygen. Um, so that's, so that's one use. We see, you know, um, I'm aware of projects that are examining the use of, uh, medical grade oxygen or the production of medical grade oxygen and, and, you know, in, in, in the current pandemic, we see the importance of oxygen as a medical treatment. And, um, and so, so some of the hydrogen projects are looking at, could we additionally purify this oxygen to make it medical grade? Are we looking at clusters of these key infrastructure around Ireland in more regional locations, rural locations, close to where renewables are, but with good access to the grid? I think so. I think, I think I've, I've, I've got in mind sort of two possible models here. One of them is you bring hydrogen production to where you have potential hydrogen demand. An example for me would be the greater Dublin region where you've got a lot of energy use, a lot of natural gas users. We could look at putting hydrogen into the gas grid there, offsetting some, some gas use. The term we use in hydrogen is a hydrogen hub. So, so you'd have a number of hydrogen producers coming together with a number of hydrogen users to you know benefit from economies of scale so so bringing the hydrogen to where the energy demand is is one option and then the other option is bringing the energy demand to where the hydrogen potential is and um, this for me as someone from the west of ireland based on the west coast this for me is 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 especially interesting because we here on the west coast we've got the big potential for hydrogen here why not bring demand of energy, demand of hydrogen to where the hydrogen is? At Money Point, you know, that could mean a cluster of, of large scale energy users around Money Point. It could be the same for Galway. It could be the same for Sligo, Mayo, Donegal. So, so for me, it opens up regional development opportunities. That's probably the most exciting aspect, I think, of green hydrogen. Is there a third option? And I'm going to talk about transportation here. Supposing you have a hydrogen producer in the west of Ireland and you've got demand uh, on the east coast. Is, is it mobile? Can you transport it? Can you put it, will it go into the, into the gas grid? It depends on how much you want to move. So right now, the, you know, the major way of moving hydrogen, if you need to move hydrogen from where it's produced to where it's used, is compressing it to very high pressures, 
putting it into cylinders on the backs of trucks. And the, now these would be bigger than, you know, the cylinder you might imagine sitting outside a hospital or something. These would be, you know, like a 40 foot trailer with, with cylinders lying along it. So in one of those trucks, you could get nearly a ton of hydrogen if you go up to high enough pressure, up to about 500 times atmospheric pressure. But if we were doing something on a much larger scale, you wouldn't want to be running truckloads of hydrogen up and down the road. So injection into the gas grid is the route after that. And there's there's kind of two flavors of that. The near-term approach is to inject hydrogen as a mixture with natural gas. It's reckoned that from experience across Europe, you could probably get about 20% uh, by volume hydrogen into the gas grid. So that's a decent amount. And then depending on the exact kind of configuration of, of, of whatever gas grid you're working with, you might get a little more, you might get a little less, but 20% is sort of seen as the, as, as, as the average now. That means that if you want to use that hydrogen at the far end, it's not going to be pure. It's going to be mixed in with natural gas. So, so what you can do with it at the end is probably just burn it. Um, so, so th- this opens the door to the, to the more kind of the longer term vision for hydrogen in the gas grid, which is pure hydrogen. And, and there's a number of tests that are going on, um, in Germany and the Netherlands about converting stretches of natural gas pipeline to pure hydrogen. And this is, this is kind of where it gets very exciting because most heavy industry is connected to the gas grid. And certainly in Ireland, we've got a fairly extensive gas grid. Um, it's not just limited to the major cities. We've got gas grids. We've got a, a section of the gas grid going all the way up to Northwest Mayo, where the best uh, onshore wind resources in Ireland are. And that gas grid is currently providing natural gas from the carb gas field. Now, the carb gas field isn't going to last forever. So could we find an alternative energy carrier to go into that grid? Well, what if we were to use all of that wind energy in Mayo to produce hydrogen to get into the grid. It seems to me that with hydrogen as part of the mix, it becomes a question of having joined up thinking in terms of the sectors that are going to be involved in this mix, but also a government to encourage and facilitate what needs to be done for this to happen. Is that what's required in order for hydrogen to be properly sustainable, properly green? Yeah, I think it really does need some sort of steer from policymakers about how they're going to consider hydrogen. And I know that they are considering it now, but um, I guess my worry is that, that the facts on the ground might overtake them if they don't, if they don't come up with a, a role for hydrogen or what their, what their vision for a role for hydrogen in the Irish energy system is quite soon. I think we need it within the next few months because certainly I'm seeing a huge uptick in interest in hydrogen in Ireland. And I worry that if we, if we don't have a stated position on how hydrogen will or won't be supported, I think, uh, interest in hydrogen might melt away as quickly as it, as it, as it developed. You've talked about an awful lot of changes and things that are happening and can happen and hopefully will happen around green hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like it's a very exciting time to be involved in the energy uh, and the transformation that it's going through. Is that the case? Speaking from, you know, from personal experience, absolutely. I run the energy systems engineering program here at NUI Galway and our, um, I don't think our students have ever been as, as enthusiastic about going out to the workplace as they, as they have been now. You know, just the whole decarbonization front center, you know, the, uh, the recent, um, 
the recent announcement by the United States that they're sort of back on the climate, on the international climate scene has, uh, you know, supercharged uh, interest in decarbonization and renewables and energy efficiency and in hydrogen, because I think the US is talking about going net zero by 2050 alongside the European Union. China's looking at net zero by 2060, UK by 2050. So world economies that contribute to 80% of carbon emissions have made net zero pledges now either by 2050 or 2060. So it is an incredibly exciting time to be involved in, in the, the research side of, of energy and in the rolling out of it. Uh, listening to you, uh, Rory, is, is, is always a pleasure, actually, to be honest with you, because I, I, I find it seeing how quickly this stuff is moving. And, you know, it's only been a matter of years before we will take hydrogen-powered public transport for granted. However, some, some people will have reservations about hydrogen because, let's face it, it's a fairly volatile substance. Yeah, no, concern, concerns about hydrogen safety are valid, you know, but, but I guess what I would say about hydrogen and safety is let's think about the risks we currently expose ourselves to with what we regard as sort of normal everyday activities. So petrol, diesel, we drive these cars around. We know the damage they do to the environment and to human health. We put up with it. We know that petrol and diesel are, are hazardous fuels. And there's been studies that have, uh, that have been done at the University of Washington and actually Ulster University in Northern Ireland is one of the world's leading centers on hydrogen safety. They're publishing research now that is showing from an objective point of view, hydrogen is a safer fuel than petrol. So if hydrogen is a safer fuel than petrol and has none of the emission problems that petrol has, we should be able to accept that. I guess, you know, hydrogen does have this association of extreme danger that has come from the, the Hindenburg disaster back in the 1930s. And it's, it's, it's amazing how a single incident like that has, uh, has managed to sort of stay in the public mindset for, for I'm, 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 I'm guessing, I'm guessing that these days, no, nobody would actually think about trying to park a 300 meter long paper bag full of hydrogen next to a bunch of guys in top hats smoking cigars. I guess that yeah, would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the middle of an electrical storm. In the middle well. of an electrical storm, yes. Yeah. So it couldn't, couldn't have been more ridiculous. It, it really uh, couldn't have been. And if, if I'm just to sort of nerd out and defend hydrogen for a moment, there was some really excellent work that was done maybe uh, in the last uh, 15 or 20 years or so that really dug into the detail of what caused that, that explosion and that fire. And what they ended up doing was, was they colorized that black and white footage of the Hindenburg burning. And so they used things that they knew the color of to colorize mm. this. They knew, you know, you know, what the flags on the side of the Hindenburg, what color they were, what the color the, the ground was. And then they were able to add color. And when they analyzed the color of the flame, every substance burns with a slightly different color. They saw that the flame, the start of the fire was not hydrogen. Hydrogen did not cause the fire. Now, the hydrogen did burn. That's indisputable that the hydrogen burned. But the hydrogen did not cause the fire. What caused the fire was lightning striking the paint that the airship was covered in. So the airship was covered in this aluminium-based paint to make it nice and reflective so that the hydrogen inside wouldn't heat up. But that paint had uh, chemical properties that were very, very similar to diesel. When that, uh, when the, the airship was electrically charged because of the storm, it touched the mooring. Uh, uh, mast to get tied up. Huge electrical charge went across and set fire to the skin, set fire to the paint on the skin. And uh, that's what 
that's what put the Hindenburg on fire. Now, hydrogen did burn. I'm not going to say it didn't burn, <laughs> but, but 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 it was a poor paint job <laughs> rather than <laughs> hydrogen. You know, so, I'm definitely proposing we fly around in hydrogen-filled uh, bags, though. Uh, so, eighty eighty-four years later, we can finally exonerate hydrogen when it comes to the Hindenburg disaster. It, 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 yeah, I, I, at worst, we could say it was an, an accessory. <laughs> but I would just say, as well, you know, as a, a as an additional point, is that hydrogen is produced every day, tens of thousands of tons of it produced every day in the world's oil refineries, which are tremendously on the face of it hazardous environments but with not an accident at all it's produced in the fertilizer industry which are you know uh again vast vast um industrial complexes we have safety measures in place we have risk measures in place and and there there is there is even though it is a dangerous substance it is managed and these studies that are coming out of universities that, that consider hydrogen safety are showing that hydrogen is is an objectively safe fuel. Rory, thanks so much for joining us today and uh, talking about green hydrogen. I can understand the excitement uh, your undergrads and probably your postgrads have about being involved in this. And it will be interesting to see uh, the developments in the coming years, both as a, a general energy source, but also as part of the mix to power data centers in the data center industry. Thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. Power and Responsibility. The Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Echelon Data Centers, a company delivering large-scale data center assets that are more cleanly and sustainably powered now, moving towards 100% renewable green energy in the future. Echelon currently has six facilities under development in Ireland and the UK, with a potential combined capacity of around 500 megawatts. (laughs) 